Good morning. I'm Sean, your head elder, and I'm here to read the word here for today. We find ourselves in Luke 19, 28 through 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied up there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyful, joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in earth and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if you keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The word of the Lord. That's Honey Bear, if you don't know his nickname. So, Honey you want the bitter root, you come here. You want the honey, you go there. So just playing, just playing. Now he's, now he's Honey Bear. I love Honey Bear. Known him a long time. That's a man. You'd trust him over there, FYI. I'll give a vouch for that. Uh, honored to be here with you today on this Palm Sunday. I love, I, I love myself some Palm Sunday, watching those kids and uh, what they were doing and uh, just representing what was happening with a crowd that was deeply into the celebrity of Jesus, deeply into the celebrity of Jesus. They liked what he was doing. They liked how he did it until they didn't. And that's the thing about a crowd. That's one thing we learned about that. You never, never trust a crowd. Trust me, never trust a crowd. Crowd will turn on you quickly and uh, crowds are fickle. And uh, you see even today, there's nothing worse than a social media crowd, you know, because that's all anonymous as the things that you're seeing in our culture as um, things begin to change. And things changed so quickly for Jesus. One minute they're, they're hailing him as uh, the Hosanna, the king that has come in the name of the Lord. And within less than a week, less than a week, seven days, those same voices that were lauding him as the king who was coming... Uh, were the same ones that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, and uh, give us Barabbas instead. And, and I guess here's the question I always need to ask. I'm, I'm just intrigued. There's a, there's a question I'm really intrigued with. I love putting myself in the scripture. I believe that any of us could have been in the Bible. The Bible was made up of people just like you and I. And any of us could be in the Bible. And I have to ask myself, as I'm looking at that crowd, I wonder what kind of crowd participant I would have been. And what would it take me to go from saying Jesus is Lord to the Petrian uh, uh, rebuke or uh, 
you know, what Peter said, that I no longer know him to the point where it cast down curses. Scripture is really clear that in the end of the Bible, that uh, in Revelations and in Matthew and Jesus says that in the end times, many who said that they were following Jesus will turn away and Jesus will no longer be tasteful to them. Uh, it'll be, Jesus will be distasteful and they'll look at the gospel and they'll be repulsed by the gospel. And the Bible talks about two different gospels that are preached. There's a true gospel and then there's one or many that are not true. And Jesus is coming in and preaching a gospel. And these people all of a sudden, for some reason, don't like what Jesus has to offer when he doesn't become the Messiah that lives up to their expectations. And so I guess a good question is, why are you here today? It's a great question. Why did you show up? We have a crowd. Why did you show up? And what would it take you to leave? This is a great question because if we don't get serious with our ability to do things um, that perhaps we would say we would never do. Peter did this. Peter said uh, to Jesus, I will never walk away from you. I'm willing to die with you. But then all of a sudden, things changed. And I asked myself a lot, what kind of believer would I be when push comes to shove? And who do I want to surround myself with? Uh, and people within this gospel. And so we learned you can never trust a crowd. And if you look at your notes, we see the timeline here. It says, within a week, Jesus would be dead, condemned to be crucified by the very voices of the same crowd lauding him as king. But why? Well, if you go down to the next statement, you're going to see that there's two reasons why Jesus was crucified. And he was crucified by culprits. Obviously, the Romans did the dirty work. They were trying to wash their hands of it. But there was two groups that really pushed for his crucifixion. One was the Pharisaical leaders, the Jewish ruling religious class. But they had to be backed up by the crowd. Now, they were very attuned to the ear of the crowd, as most political leaders are. And they will pretty much crowdsource the opinion. And then they will do what the crowd says. I don't really often see that as leadership. I think leadership is oftentimes being willing to do things that are unpopular, uh, whether the crowd likes it or not, because you know that is right. Follow the strengths of your convictions and create a movement behind that. But this wasn't the Jewish pharisaical leaders. And so over and over again, they wanted to do things, but the crowd would not let them, if you read the scripture. So it was all about trying to get a sway in the crowd so that they could do what they wanted to do. And they wanted to crucify Jesus for what Jesus was doing but the crowd ended up wanting to crucify Jesus because of what Jesus was not doing. You'll see a statement in your notes. It says Jesus was condemned by the Jewish leaders for what he had been saying and doing. But by the crowds for what he ended up not doing. Go to verse 28, the first verse in this passage. And whenever you see after this, it's a really good um, little uh, road road map uh, or a sign in scripture to say, okay, well, what was happening before this? And so this entire passage sets up with after this, which means we to get an understanding of what's happening, we need to know what's happening before this. And before this, Jesus, in earlier in chapter 19, uh, the scripture had been going on a, a long diatribe of metaphors and parables, and Jesus calls some people out with his parables. He is saying two things at once. And in this particular parable, in chapter 19, he had said to the people that were following him, he had given an analogy of a landowner who gave away talents and said, watch over my talents. And he came back 
uh, and, he, and he spoke, and there was one who was faithful, and there was one who was not faithful, uh, and he had spoken about that. He'd given uh, parables about heaven and hell. He had said all these things, and many Sadducees didn't even believe in hell. But Jesus was willing to say things that made people uncomfortable. The, me- the, the, the message is called, never judge a gospel by its popularity. Jesus wasn't running for a popularity contest. Jesus was not trying to be a celebrity, and that's one of the things that bothers me when I see the church start moving, where a church becomes a celebrity church in the area, or a pastor becomes a celebrity pastor. Those are pretty much two words that should never go together with the true gospel. And we see Jesus, all of a sudden, was being condemned because of what he was saying. And the last thing he said before this passage starts is in verse 27. You'll see it in your notes. It says, but those enemies, and this is part of the parable. He's not talking about himself, but he is talking about himself, but it's in the form of a parable. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is obviously um, a reference to hell and to the afterlife and people who are not faithful. And look, it's not a very peaceful thing of Jesus to say, right? It's not a very politically correct thing of Jesus to say. He was saying something that was very difficult. It was interesting. This week I was with some young people and we were, I was back in Philadelphia, a great place to visit, FYI, just great place to visit. I just love visiting there. It was amazing. Really good. Uh, and and by the way, there's no such thing as a good Philly cheesesteak. I just want you to know, I know everybody's like, oh, want, 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 but it's true. I, we went to all the best ones to try them all out, and they're all bad. I mean, you, I will take a carne asada burrito over a Philly cheesesteak any day of the week. A Philly cheesesteak, really thin meat, and then co- overcooked. Like, I think, like, the goal of it is overcook it to it's gray, okay? And then they put cheese whiz on it, and I'm like, I want to go back up. I want to go to Philadelphia and open up a place and call it California cheesesteak. No cheese whiz allowed. But nonetheless, there was no such thing as a good Philly cheesesteak. I know I'm going to start that up. There was a guy in the air in downtown Philly had a shirt on that said Philadelphia versus everybody. And I was like, yeah, that's so awesome. You're such a fighter in the struggle. <laughs> and uh, Jesus was, was, was riding in, and there was this crowd here that obviously changed their opinion of him very quickly. And because of the things he was saying and doing, and Jesus wasn't trying to be a political leader of any kind. And so I want to read this statement. It says, uh, Jesus was condemned by the Jewish leaders for what he had been saying and doing, but by the crowds for what he had not been doing. And in verse 37, you're going to see that the crowds were coming for a very different reason than than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were constantly looking and managing their celebrity versus Jesus' celebrity. Who would have power? Who would have the platform to, to sway the people? But The crowds were coming for a very different reason because they had needs and Jesus was meeting their needs in the form of miracles. But when the miracles stopped, the people no longer wanted to follow. In verse 37, it says this, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices. Why? For all the miracles that they had seen. They weren't there because of perhaps personal salvation. They weren't there for perhaps the fact that that God had sent his son into the world that they might be saved. They were there to see the miracles that were happening. And perhaps it even says in other places to get a free meal. 
They were there for all these other reasons. But then all of a sudden, when Jesus is being crucified in front of Pilate, they no longer want to be a part of him because he is not representing what they were wishing. Now, you have to realize that when Jesus came in and the crowd saw him the first time here, he was coming in on a statement donkey. Now, let me tell you what a statement donkey is, okay? When you ride a four-legged beast of burden into a city back in the time of Jesus, you were saying something. There was a statement being made. If you came in on a horse, a war horse, it was, I am here to conquer this city. But if you come in on a donkey, you're saying that I am a king and I am coming in peace. Both are meant to be kings that they ride and both are meant to come into the city to present that idea. Jesus was coming in peace, but what the people saw was a king coming in to effect a political change in Jerusalem. They wanted something that Jesus ended up not being willing to offer them. And when Jesus was standing in front of Pilate, you have to imagine the people that had been one moment screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then looking around and seeing him perhaps on his knees with the robe, with the crown of thorns, being bloodied and realized, wait a second, the rebellion's not going so well. Matter of fact, that wasn't me that said that. Matter of fact, crucify him, Barabbas, Barabbas, all of a sudden looking around and realizing that Jesus did not offer them what they wanted. Now here's what really... I think we are in our culture today, and and, and I I think more personally, just to speak about out of ourselves, what would it take you to leave Jesus? Maybe you've not even come yet, so what will it take you to come? But a question we need to ask ourselves is, what what would it take you to leave Jesus? And maybe it's something he says or does. You know, there's a lot of believers leaving the church because they no longer like what the Bible says. It doesn't make sense amongst the crowd. And the Bible is not trying to crowdsource its opinions. The Bible is attached to the anchor of God's word. And it doesn't, you know, change and flow. One of the things I love about, you know, the English Standard Version recently of the Bible is what they've said is, we, uh, we no longer are going to update the Bible. We're not updating it anymore. There's no more updates. We believe that the, that the word of God is solid. And so we see Jesus here and people are leaving because of perhaps what the Bible says today. And they don't like what it says, and so they they want to leave. But the other people leave because Jesus doesn't do what they want him to do. And I guess the question for you is, what happens when Jesus disappoints you? And will you still follow Jesus when the marriage didn't happen that you'd always wanted and or the job, or there's a loss of a child, or something has gone awry in your life and it doesn't make sense to you anymore? And this is what happened. You have to realize, this is what happened to the crowd. All of a sudden, the Messiah didn't make sense to them anymore. And Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. They had created a Messiah that was going to come in, a political leader who was going to take over, fight the Romans, and bring them back to the power and the prestige of the Jewish nation. But this isn't what Jesus was all about. Jesus was offering something that they didn't want. And that was the cross. Let me just put the ball back on the tee for all of us. Let me tell you what we offer here at this church and what Christianity has offered for years and, you know, two millennia. Jesus Christ crucified on the cross, risen again, and by his shed blood, you are saved by your sins. That is the gospel. That is all we have to offer. Now, we might be able to give you a meal. We might be able to heal your sight. And I would say, that'd be awesome, but you're going to be hungry tomorrow, and one day you're going to die. I was at a conference this week. I was back east. We were sitting with all these pastors, and we talked and talked about the social needs in the world, and they went off on every topic, but I just didn't hear the name of Jesus. 
and we have our churches and we want to do this with our churches and we want to do that with our churches. And I just kept waiting for like this word I really like. It's Jesus. I like that word a lot when I'm at church conferences. Um, and at the end, I, I said, you know, I don't want to be a buzzkill. You know, I didn't actually say that. But I said, you know, these are great. We can do all these things. But I said, in the end, I only have one thing to offer people, and that's eternal life through the cross, through the blood of Jesus. And they might not, they might not like it. You know what? People, the gospel, it says, is a stumbling block. The gospel is a stumbling And it says, and we'll see in a moment, it is foolishness to people. I, I think we need to get out of the business of trying to make the gospel less foolish. I think that when, when we do this, when we're constantly looking to, you know, I think we need to find a way, you know, ways to speak to people, obviously. But when we're constantly trying to morph the scripture into the cultural needs, which, by the way, will never, will, will, will never stay static. As long as humankind is in charge of morality, you are going to keep crowdsourcing morality in the direction that the human heart wants to go. And the human heart, the Bible says, is full of wickedness. Whatever line is drawn right now will be crossed, and there will be another line, and another line, and another line in regard to letting humans have whatever they want. It is, a, it is humanity, it is God, it is human, excuse me, it is humans as God, or it is allowing God to be God. And I said to the people, I said, you know, in the end, I only have the cross to offer. Matter of fact, it really solidified in my heart why I'm here today. Because I want to be here to preach the cross. And I said, all we have to offer them is eternal life. Because I do believe that if people do not know Jesus, they will be abandoned from God forever. And people just looked at me. And I was like, otherwise, I, I mean, no, 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 no offense to the United Way, but I'll just go work for the United Way. I'll just go do good stuff. They do good stuff. But I want to do good stuff in the name of Jesus that leads people to know who Christ is. And as I said a moment ago and didn't finish the story, I was talking to some young people. And as we were talking about hell, and I was saying, you know, the traditional understanding is that hell is forever, you know. And I don't like it. Matter of fact, you don't have to like everything God, everything the Bible says. The Bible's not asking you to like it. My question is, do you believe it? That's a big difference. We, we are in this thought that you have to like everything the Bible says. There's a lot of things I don't like. But I believe it. Matter of fact, hopefully I would die for it. And I said to the younger people I was speaking with, as we were talking about hell, and I said, you know, this is, you know, I, I said, I don't think you can go wrong. Because they were saying, well, I think well, once you die, you can perhaps, you know, get a second chance. And I'm like, well, that might be true. But, and maybe you can make the Bible say that. Because one thing I've learned is that humans can make science or the Bible say whatever they want. I don't know if you've realized that. Like, I don't trust, this whole thing, like, trust science. Why? Because you have corruptible people that will make it say what they want it to say. In the same way, people make the Bible say what they want it to say. And I, and I said to them in the end, the best way to go is, it might be true. Maybe there is a second great hope and God has grace after that. But that's not what I see the Bible saying. And I'd rather preach, you know, I would rather preach a cross that saves us from eternal hell than make a mistake on that point. And to, to let people know that there is the offer of salvation. Salvation is an offer, FYI. This idea that Christians are just out there making people do things, you still see that in the media. It's like it's an inquisition in the Middle Ages, you know what I mean? We're just making you bow down because we're... No. By, by the way, the church is still a place you decide to come to. You just, it is an offer. To, to follow Jesus, he makes you an offer, and you can say no and go ahead and live your life and say no. But Jesus is offering this gospel that they no longer want. And back to you, let's bring this back home. Are you willing to accept the gospel that Jesus offers? 
as a culture goes the opposite way and continues to tell you that the Bible needs to be updated like a Microsoft program? Or are you willing to perhaps believe in things you might not like, but believe that are true? And so I went to my friends who were younger and I said, well, tell me why it's wrong. Why, why, why there is no such thing as an eternal hell, which I, which I believe. I don't like it, but I believe it. And they said, and the answer that I felt like I heard was, well, it just doesn't seem right to me. The Bible has a scripture that says there is a, there is, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to what? Death. Yeah. And so they said, I just didn't feel right. I said, okay, well, listen, I'm willing to have this conversation continue, but you've got to bring scripture to me. If we're going to, if you're going to, if we're going to speak as believers, you need to bring me the scripture, not just because it doesn't feel right. There's a lot of things that don't feel right. Or, you know, I don't think God, I don't think God should do it that way or would do it that way. But once again, going back to this understanding of understanding the gospel and what is this church, what do we have a church have to offer? What does Jesus have to offer you? He offers you salvation. Everything else we do after salvation, the calling to feed the poor, the calling to do all these other things come, come as an addendum to the cross because he cares about your soul. He cares about our hearts. As you'll see on your notes, Jesus did not end up being the Messiah that they wanted him to be. Turn your notes over. These crowds wanted half a gospel. They wanted the gospel of power. They liked the miracles. They wanted the power. I love the power. got to say, if you don't have any Pentecostal friends, go find yourself some. Because when push comes to shove and you are in a pinch and the cancer's there or the, the divorce, you want them pouring that oil, praying, dancing at night, whatever they do. I gotta have me some Pentecostal friends. Make sure you have them. And then, you know, I like, I like having some fundamental friends as well. I don't like really like fundamentalism, but I like some, some very conservative Christians as well that keep us in balance from not doing backflips into the baptismal. You know what I'm saying? So I need that too. Hope you surround yourself with a whole bunch of different types of Christians because it keeps us all, all in balance. You know, gotta have it. Gotta. It's like a holster. You gotta have the Pentecostal in one. You know, and the, the crowds wanted half a gospel, a gospel of power, but devoid of suffering. <laughs> it's funny. As soon as we start suffering, we're like God, where are you? Where are you? The, the, the whole gospel is about suffering and victory over suffering. That's it. Where is God when it hurts? Right there. That's the, go- the gospel is suffering. We have to realize, we, 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 it's not butterflies and unicorns and Neapolitan ice cream. You know, it's deeper than that. The crowds wanted half a gospel, a gospel of power, but devoid of suffering and a gospel of salvation, but empty of consequence. They want to have any consequences that that, suffer, that that suffering paid for the debt. And when they saw that Jesus was heading to the cross, they wanted, it was repulsive to them. When they could not find a political leader that was going to fix all their ills, sound, sound kind of culture current at the moment, then they didn't want nothing to do with it. They didn't want, the, they didn't want Jesus. They wanted Jesus and miracles and political power, but not a cross. The cross is how we are saved. And I guess, once again, they had come for the miracles, but left when Jesus wouldn't heal himself. But Jesus wasn't trying to heal himself. He was trying to heal you. Jesus didn't die on the cross to heal himself. He died on the cross to heal you. And the thing that's interesting about everybody's, oh, Satan's so smart. 
Satan said, what a, he was a bonehead play to crucify Jesus. Do you realize he didn't know what he was doing? We give the devil way too much credit. He blew it. He was, that was a miscalculation of judgment. If, Jesus, if Satan could crucify Jesus again, he wouldn't, I don't think, because he saw what happened. Just quit giving Satan so much credit. He didn't understand the gospel either. The fool. The devil's a fool. And he's a liar. You can't, and if you can't know the truth, how do you expect him to walk in truth? He couldn't see it. Satan can't see it because Satan is lies, and he's the author of lies. And he lies to our youth, and he lies to our marriages. I hear people getting divorced all the time, and the stuff that they say to me is such a lie. And I can read it. I can hear it when they say it. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy in a marriage. Well, then you've never been married. Favorite quote, Dick Cotton, best way to stay married is to stay married. Not saying be abused, but get some separation out and say, I'll be here when you get that sorted out. Hate divorce. Hate it. Despise divorce. If you want to see what hell looks like, go to divorce court. I've sat in them, and I watch as children, as you've seen, get destroyed. We have got to do everything we can. And this is not besmirching you. If you've had a divorce, divorce happens. I get it. But hopefully after being through one, you don't want to do it again. And hopefully you will go to your undivorced friends and say, hey, do this to figure it out. We want to be a divorce-free church. We want to change our culture. We want to see things changed here in the world and in La Jolla with the gospel. My question then, back to the, the notes, is what will you do when you no longer like or understand what Jesus is saying or doing? When Jesus does something in the world that you don't like, or funny, the political leaders Jesus allows. The Bible says every single political leader is put there by God. Funny, right? Everyone. Funny, right? You agree with all his choices? (laughs) (laughs) The Bible says just pray for him. Matthew 24 says at that time, and this is at the end times, and if you want to know when the end times are, this is probably... I've always looked at this instead of Revelations. I don't, I don't understand Revelations. I don't horses and craziness. Um, it's important to read. If you read it out loud, you get a blessing. By the way, that's a free blessing, the Bible says. If you read the book of Revelation aloud, it says, you get a free blessing. So if you want a free blessing, I don't know what it is, just go home and read it aloud. It's awesome. You get a free blessing right there. Just, that was free. That didn't cost you anything today. But I've always looked to this verse as knowing when the end times are. It says, at that time... Many will turn away. What are they turning away from? They're turning away from faith in the true gospel. From the faith and will betray and hate each other. That means people sitting beside you. I think that means there's people in the church that are sitting beside you, or maybe not us, maybe the church on the street. But, well, I've got to ask myself, is that me? You know, I, a guy wrote a book recently and he says, could you be a Nazi? I don't know, got to think about it. If you can't put yourself and see yourself doing the worst things, then you have a blind spot. Because we are man under circumstances is capable of incredible, incredible immoral violence and wickedness. Thank God he saves us from that. The faith says that many will betray the faith and hate each other. And many false prophets will arise and will appear and deceive many people. Why does that happen? Because of the increase of wickedness. i got to say, the things in our culture right now that are being highlighted and seen as victorious examples of freedom and amazing empowerment 
is wickedness to God. Absolute wickedness. And it says because of that wickedness, hearts will grow cold. So when you see an increase of wickedness, that's when you know that there's going to be an end times and people's love will grow cold. It says because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I wonder if that's me. You know, you don't know until you have the opportunity, right? You don't know how brave you are until you have to fight in a battle of some kind. You all think you're, you're brave until it's time to be brave. There's a lot of, it's interesting, the things that impress me. And celebrity is not one of them. Not at all. I love courage. I love watching a single mom fight for her kids and stay and make sure that they have male role models in their life and care for them and read her Bible and work multiple hours and sacrifice. Oh, man, I don't like seeing that happen, but I love when it happens because I love the courage of all that. Love seeing that those things, for the one that stands firm to the end, are we a church that will stand firm to the end? I got to tell you what, I care about people, but I don't care what they say. And we are growing at a time where, I don't know, we'll see which way it goes, but it's, there's going to be more and more fingers pointed to people that are holding on to a classical, rustic, biblical view of what God determines for human beings. And at that time, people are going to begin, I think, to separate. We'll see. And it says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So here's the question. As we move into this, I guess this Palm Sunday, and in this, this week, is this is a week, it's a dark week for the church, but spoiler alert, a good ending. <laughs> and this is a week where I think it's really good to grapple with ourselves in the crowd, you know? Grapple with yourselves in a crowd. Grapple with yourselves of what you expect of Jesus. And when you're disappointed with him, will you still follow him? Is Jesus plus nothing enough? How important to you is the gospel? Is the gospel the most important thing? And when you're offering things to people, what are you actually offering them? Or is your eye off the ball? Are you focused on who's the next king of Israel? I just figured that out last week. Are you focused on what God's going to do to save the culture with this or with that? Or are you focused on the blood of Jesus Christ? That is all we have to offer at this church. The blood of Jesus Christ, the cross and resurrection, the salvation from your sins, that you might know your father again, that you can come home. And this is the gospel. And by the way, it's a choice. No one's making you do it. And you have to decide if you want to be a part of it. And I want to say in this time, there is going to be a great gathering this is one of the best times ever for people to know. People are hungry. I got to say, if you are not practicing evangelism, then you're, not, then you're unaware of how much people want the Bible right now. Let me just assure you, the people I speak to are hungry. They're willing to come to church. They want to check it out. You got, all, you got a bunch of people that are loud, and, and they're, they're, they don't want it. But remember, Jesus sends people out, and then they don't want to come. So they come back in and say, hey, they didn't want to come. And he goes, okay, go out to the street and go get the beggars. Go get all the ones that are broken. Go find them. i got to say, there is an underbelly right now, a soft underbelly of people that have been broken through their family's breakup, through misery, through a lack of hope, and they are out there. And if you are, if you are even trying, like the smallest amount, to work 
evangelism into your life, you are aware of what I'm talking about. But if you're not, you just think the whole world's against Jesus. They're not. There is a huge openness because I got to tell you that the whole science, kumbaya, the world's all happy, isn't working for them. And they know it. It ain't getting better. And so they're looking for something real. The question is, will you preach that gospel no matter what? The final verse that I want to show today is in 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 19. This is Paul speaking, and Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those people that are being saved, those are the people I was just mentioning, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. So this week, as you move into a week of actually setting the ball back on the tee, maybe it's fallen off in the wind and it's time to just take away, this is a week for you to reboot your life, to dust off the Bible, to sit every morning, 15 minutes, to come. We're going to have the chat. The church is going to be open all week, I think from 10 until 2. Look at everything. We have a prayer meeting on Tuesday. We have another one all day, or in the mo- not all day, but in the morning on Saturday. We have Easter service. Please, I hope there's no cards left. In the, we have invite cards we created. Invite a friend to Easter. It's going to be a great service. But this is a week that you can dive back in and begin to ask yourself, Am I a person that would not only sing Hosanna and cry to Hosanna, but when it comes time to take Jesus' body off the cross, like Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus, would you be the person that was there outing yourself, saying, yeah, I'm one of his followers. I believe in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's stand.